1: Welcome back. As we head into Hour 2, I am Seth and The phone number is 602-508-0960, 602-508-0960. As I was uh, laying out in the previous hour, take your pick of what the major news story of the day is, whether it is the um, impending invasion of our southern border that's going to commence tomorrow, uh, whether it's the debt ceiling. Uh, Whether it's uh, what the Democrats uh, wished it would be, which was the jury verdict in the case against uh, Donald Trump in the battery defamation uh, federal court in New York yesterday. Um, Those 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 would be at least three. And then, of course, there's what the House Oversight Committee and Representative James Comer, chairman of that committee, uh, unveiled today. Uh, I gave you the Fox write up of it uh, last hour. I'll give you the Newsmax write up of it now. House Oversight Committee Chair James Comer on Wednesday outlined what he called a pattern of influence peddling by President Joe Biden's family, revealing information the committee obtained to show that the family, their associates and their companies received over $10 million from foreign nationals and their companies. Some of the money... Came from Chinese from a Chinese company and went to Hunter Biden's company, Comer said in a press conference. Other transfers occurred with money from foreign entities into the family into the Biden family, with many of the wire payments occurring while Joe Biden was vice president and leading the United States efforts in these countries. That's the interesting part. Comer noted that the committee had subpoena power for just four months and has made astonishing progress in uncovering information on Biden family members. While much of the information centered around the connections with China, other countries were also involved. First instance, Vice President Biden was lecturing Romania on anti-corruption policies, said Comer. In reality, he was a walking billboard for his son and family to collect money. Hunter Biden and his associates capitalized on a lucrative financial relationship with the Romanian nationals who are under investigation for and later convicted of corruption in Romania the Bidens received over $1 million for the deal. Comer added that 16 of the 17 payments to an associate's account that funneled money occurred while Biden was the vice president, and the money stopped slowing from the Romanian nationals soon after Biden left the vice presidency. That's kind of the interesting other part of all this, never mind the anfractious and wending ways in which these monies were moved around. As Nancy Mace put it, if it's hard to follow the money, which is... From Watergate, the, the 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 defining roadmap for, for tra- tracing a scandal, follow the money. If it's hard to do so, she said, that's because it was deliberately made hard to do so. By the way, if they were violating reporting requirements in that um, deliberate use of an f- infractious and uh, wending series of schemes, that itself, as Andy McCarthy has said, would constitute its own fraud. But I like how Liz Wheeler just summed it up all very nicely. Nine Bidens implicated in a pay-to-play scheme while Joe Biden was vice president. Millions of dollars wired to Biden bank accounts stopped when Biden left office. A tangled web of Biden companies tied to a Chinese spy company. And not just Chinese, as we said, Romania as well. Now, I know Nancy Mace isn't everyone's favorite congresswoman around here or around the country, South Carolina. And famously, oh... I suppose she would say independent. I suppose others would have different names for it. She supported, after all, Trump's impeach, Donald Trump's impeachments. But she was pretty, on, pretty much on fire today. And uh, sometimes those South Carolina politicians can give and they can take, right? She wouldn't be the only one. I believe her senior senator would be a proof of that as well. But uh, eating her Wheaties this morning, I'll just give you a little clip of What you don't see from Nancy Mace very often. What you don't hear from Nancy Mace very often. see if I can get the audio.
2: The Biden family needs to answer for this. And the
1: DOJ needs to get off its ass and investigate. We've done the work for them so they can't screw it up now. If these allegations, any of these allegations are proven true, then someone with the last name Biden needs to be charged, prosecuted, and maybe spend a little time in prison to take to account and responsible for the actions they've taken today. How do you like that? Someone with the name Biden needs to spend some time in jail. Uh, yeah, no, he's no. <laughs> uh, when I said no, not Strom Thurmond, he's long gone. And about whom very few people said was untrustworthy on uh, conservative catechisms. Um, unlike Mace and uh, Lindsey Graham. It's kind of interesting about them when they're... when. Uh, what was it someone once said about Winston Churchill? I don't mean to make a comparison, but it's it is still a great line, nonetheless. Someone said about Winston Churchill: um, when he's good, he's great, and when he's bad, oh my God! Probably could say that about Nancy and Lindsey as well. Nancy Mason, Lindsay Graham, as well. You know, there's another story too. Out uh, anyway. Let me put a finishing thought on 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 that story that james Comer unveiled it's going to be darn near impossible for the media to ignore it they're trying by instead of the story being about nine people named biden uh they're trying to make the story about george santos uh congressman from new york uh being indicted today in federal court uh for various schemes of fraud and i gotta tell you you know First of all, let me stipulate I thought Santos should have never been seated in the first place. I you know, I think if you get elected on fraud it's effectively a fraudulent election. I don't I, I think he should have had the shame, obviously something he doesn't have, the shame of of not taking up the position and I think the Republican caucus should have unanimously told him as much rather than saying it's really up to the voters of New York. It's not up to the voters of New York if the election is based on fraud uh, it's not up to the you know buyers of anything it, 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 if if what you bought was 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 sold to you as fraud uh, the old notion of uh, buyer beware um, it's it's not true in law at least not anymore um, and it isn't in politics when you deliberately invent your entire biography, not little exaggeration exaggerations here and there not big exaggerations here and there as Joe Biden is wont to do but everything everything he said about himself turned out to be untrue so let me just get out of the way the fact that I don't think he ever should have taken that seat in Congress but that having been said I have to tell you all the uh all the alarms and uh all the alarms and excursions by the media about this story of George Santos, they they it just seems a little bit like small beer. I mean, it is one congressman in a district of New York that no one can even remember the name of the guy he unseated in his first year in office, making him the most junior of the junior of backbenchers. And the way they try and elevate... The importance of him—it's—it's just—it just just feels small to me. My guess is, if he isn't uh, convicted on these indictments, my guess is that uh, he'll, as he says, plan to run for re-election and will lose. That would be my guess. I just don't like him hanging as a. uh, as a millstone around the Republican Party's neck. But it does feel a little small compared to all the other stories the press could be focusing on. The idea that their headlines are screaming about George Santos is odd. Now, there is another story out there, of course, and uh, we mentioned it yesterday. Didn't talk a lot about it today yet, though, and I'm happy to if you want to. And that's the announcement of uh, Tucker Carlson's uh, uh, new media enterprise, which will be evidently a show on Twitter. Not really certain exactly what it will look like. He said in his statement, Tucker did yesterday, that it will uh, it will be the kind of show people were used to from his last six and a half years uh, at his previous employer. Uh, there's no story about this on Fox, by the way. There was stories about it everywhere else. In the news yesterday, and then there's this (laughs) from the uh, (coughs) excuse me from the uh, Twitter account called Occupy Democrats, which is not a small account. It's got almost six well, it's got five hundred almost five hundred and fifty thousand followers on Twitter, and it calls itself the Democratic political organization and news website. Uh, This is what they wrote: breaking. Tucker Carlson is hit with bad news as Twitter competitor Tribal announces that they just permanently banned Carlson from their growing social media app, declaring that Tribal, quote, Tribal has decided to permanently ban Tucker ne- Tucker Carlson from our network because Mr. Carlson is a blah, 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 as you can imagine. Banning him is necessary to protect our users, close quote, um, to which someone smart, Lauren Chen wrote. Not sure how the man will ever recover from this death blow. (laughs) Has anyone even heard of tribal? Yeah. Okay. I'm Seth,
3: 602-5080-960. Be right back. Threats
1: to our financial freedom and stability are growing. India, Brazil, Russia, Saudi Arabia, China, they're all conducting international trade and local currencies, not the U.S. dollar. Rising interest rates and bad loans are exposing the banking system and causing failures. The Biden administration is sending hundreds of billions of dollars abroad while depleting our strategic oil reserves and ignoring crumbling infrastructure here at home. However, the biggest threat may be coming from within. Central bank digital currency is real. The patents have been filed, and the big banks have released plans for implementation. The vets at Midas Gold Group see devastating implications. Could there be ties to social credit, big government able to see your every purchase, the end of cash, the end of financial privacy? Own private currency, gold and silver. Now get free silver just for asking Midas Gold Group how you can use your retirement to own physical gold. Call the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group today at 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000. Or check them out at MidasGoldGroup.com. MidasGoldGroup.com. The only precious metals dealer, Seb Gorka, I, and thousands of you already know. Rick is in
3: Phoenix. Hello, Rick. Hello. I'm one of those give you a different view on the election coming up Oh, and i'm a conservative republican i voted for trump but everyone's going to concentrate on biden's uh inability to think and his crimes and all that and you're going to concentrate on the border and you're going to concentrate on the economy and you're going to concentrate on uh, inflation but guess what's going to happen the republicans unfortunately are weak on three issues there and these are what people are going to vote on i don't care what anyone says they're going to vote on abortion the LGTBQ and the, the transgender issue and gun control. And those, you'll, you know, and we, we can hammer all those other issues all you want, but people will go to the polls, the young kids and everything, well, I want to protect abortion. And Republicans are weak on these. On abortion, I'd love to see it, but no one's going to agree to this, that we all come to an agreement that somewhere around 16 to 20 weeks that we stop abortions unless the mom is sick or something and but see the democrats won't agree with that because it's a great issue for them and the pro-life people won't agree because they want it to be zero weeks or very so you got three issues that you that we're going to lose on and i don't care what biden does, even if he can stumbles down the step those are going to be the issues that determine the election and it's kind of sad because All of us keep hammering on the border and so on and so forth, and that won't win it for us. Comment on it.
1: Yeah, you bet I'll comment on it. I think there's some good news in what you say, Rick, if you'll um, hear me out in response on those three issues. Yeah, yeah, and I'm glad you raised it because it gets into this whole— Debate you've probably been following in the Republican Party and consultancy class about whether Republicans should even talk about the issues you mentioned. Uh, I'm firmly in the camp and in favor of them talking about it. Let's let's go uh, in reverse order. Gun control. Uh, the vast majority of Americans are not in favor of repealing the Second Amendment, and I think. That when Democrats make an issue of the Second Amendment in election years or close to the election, they usually lose and have stopped doing it for the most part close to an election. Let me just run down real three, the, real briefly each a point on each of the three things you said. On the LGBTQ issues, uh, I think we went on that and we should talk about it. It's a big issue. Um, the recent, most recent uh, Washington Post poll on it shows that 65% of Americans, 65% agree with our position on uh, LGBTQ issues when it comes to the transgender um, issue, which I think is probably what you're most mostly talking about, the transgenderism right. in our schools and, of course, in college athletics. 65% agree with us on it. Finally, on abortion. And this is the one that annoys me the most, not anything you said, but the general issue of abortion in the Republican Party It annoys me the most. Consistent polling shows that 70 percent of Americans, upwards of 70 percent of Americans, it vacillates somewhere between 60 and 70 percent. But upwards of 70 percent of Americans agree that second and third trimester abortions should be restricted. Now, if that's true— why is it that Republicans refuse to make that point that your 15-week idea? I think you said it a little longer, but let's go with the 15 weeks, which is what exists in Arizona and what exists in um, in uh, 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 the, the the Dobbs decision in Mississippi. That the generally the 15-week uh, restriction. That gets you well into the second – that gets you a few weeks into the second trimester. I have no idea why Republicans are scared of this except that Republicans have been made to feel scared on this. When you talk about the extremism of where the Democratic Party is on abortion, you cannot find a Democrat, not in Arizona, not in the country, running for election who will tell you that they support restrictions on abortion anytime even in the third trimester or after – The baby is born as Katie Hobbs herself vetoed legislation protecting that born alive infant um, only uh, a month ago. So what I am more worried about is Republicans running away from these issues out of cowardice rather than learning how to talk about them because the American people seem to be on their side on them. Uh, so I, I just hope we can do some better training and some better coaching of candidates in the Republican Party so that they get this message and get it right. These are not issues we should run from. These are not issues the Democratic Party should own us on. We should own them on it. Just we're too cowardly in too many cases on it. What do you think?
3: I I agree with you 100 percent. But New York Democrats, we got to force the Democrats to say, OK, then you want to go to 40 weeks, don't you? Well, well weeks, Yeah, Jim, I mean, maybe? You're,
1: uh, New York Democrats may be a problem and California Democrats may be a problem. But Ohio Democrats aren't. And ver- excuse me, Ohio uh, voters aren't. And Virginia voters aren't. Glenn Youngkin, uh, J.D. Vance, they all ran strong on these issues. So did Brian Kemp in Georgia. And they won. They weren't shy on it. And they won. You can win and be pro-life. You can win and be against uh, the social destruction of the transgender uh, policies, you can win and uh, run and win on gun control. They showed you but how on
3: abortion. Yeah. on abortion, you can't go down to zero week. No, even though not we yet. To not that. yet. You're See that, that and that's what I
1: think. I think our movement, our pro life movement, has to accept. It's this: the country for fifty years has been living under a federalized abortion law. That doesn't allow restrictions on abortion. And we have had probably one of the most liberal abortion laws in the world as a result of that for 50 plus years. We just now, just last year, had the opportunity for states to now take um, ownership of that issue. We can't lurch from everything to zero within a year on such an important issue. We just can't. You change the culture, though. And to change the culture, you have to change the law. And to change the law and the culture together, you change the law little by little. Let's get used to some of these 15-week restrictions. Once we get used to that, then we move to protect life the way it deserves to be protected, which is all of it. That's my view.
3: Okay, gun control is going to be a shooting in October, I guarantee Oh, God, please of, no, what?
1: please no, God forbid, please no, it's enough of that. But if you want to get to the gun control debate, let's look at what is underlying, you know, so much of the mass violence we're seeing. And Republicans ought to be talking about that stuff, too. Families, fathers, and drugs.
3: Welcome back to the Seth
1: Leibson show. I'm thinking if there's anyone outside, outside of the uh, musicians I grew up with who do my top of the hour opening theme music, which is good music, contrasted to what we just heard. uh, There's no one who lives in Phoenix who has known me longer or who I have known longer than uh, the honored guest. It is a privilege to bring back to the show. Arizona Associates Supreme Court Justice Clint Bollock. Justice Bollock. Welcome back to the show, sir. Seth, it's great to be with you. I think I have... I'm just trying to think. There's no one who lives here outside of my musician friends who I have no longer. We used to have offices across from each other in Washington, D.C. I miss those lunches at the Oval Room. Was that where we went, I think? Yes. Yes. I
2: don't think that place exists anymore. Nothing good does,
1: Clint. Nothing does. (laughs) Nothing good does anymore. (laughs) And uh, we're going to punish you with uh, some Herb Alpert music here, too, because... um, Because you seem to like that sort of thing, Clint.
2: You know, I do. I really do. And I I think it's uh, an appropriate, upbeat, (laughs) uplifting uh, (laughs) uh, rendition. That was that.
1: that. They used that on the dating game, if I'm not mistaken. That was also the theme for the original (laughs) dating game. That's right. I forgot all about that. That really does take me back. Yeah. Well, um, you have great tastes in almost everything else except for your... One asterisk here, your one dissenting opinion I'll let you have on Herb Alpert Natia the <laughs> brass. Clint, the reason I wanted to have you on is it's maybe not one of the more sexy cases coming before the United States Supreme Court, but it's one of huge pregnancy and importance that we occasionally talk about around here, something called Chevron deference, And it's a case that is called Loper Bright Enterprises versus Raimondo that has the potential to overturn Chevron deference. I want you to maybe, if you don't mind, tell the audience a little bit about what Chevron deference is and why it offends so many of us who consider ourselves constitutional originalists. You dealt with similar cases at the state level, your opinion in Roberts versus Arizona, I think last term. Dealt with kind of a state consideration of that, but anything I've said wrongly, feel free to correct. But would you mind walking us through some of this?
2: Sure, and and urging your listeners not to not to change the dial because it's not se- sexy, but it's super important, yeah. and it's also you know it involves the real lives of real people. When when you and I were talking about this case the other day, I it was killing me because I was thinking of the scenario um, that is uh, presented in the Loper case. And it reminded me of something. And I just realized today that the scenario uh, was presented in the movie uh, that came out the last couple of years that was absolutely terrific called CODA, uh, where these bureaucrats (laughs) are, uh, uh, are, uh, placed on fishermen boats
1: mm-hmm.
2: and the fishermen have to pay for it right, right and i I knew this was tugging at my memory bank uh, but it wasn't until today that I realized that this literally is is uh, art turned into to reality um
1: you you like naval so. you like naval stories in your Roberts decision you you talk about a great deal of freight to load upon a tiny statutory vessel you, <laughs> l- you like this naven na- navigation my na- colleague. Yeah.
2: My colleague Justice Timmerer, says I always use water metaphors, okay. and I have no idea why that is. But sure <laughs> enough, I did talk about a lot of freight to load upon a, a tiny statutory vessel. Yes, but sir. so, Seth, this actually the Chevron doctrine actually traces its origins, even though it was a 1984 case, and a, a very appropriate year for this decision to come out um it actually traces its origins to the the FDR administration and of course as you know uh Roosevelt believed that the depression could be cured if only the smartest people were brought to Washington and placed in charge of the economic emergency so we had this um sh- this showering of new uh, federal agencies to regulate every aspect of the economy.
1: This is like a perfect and, example, a perfect template of progressivism in our bureaucracy and, and rule exactly. by elites and experts. This is a short segment. Let me take a quick commercial break. We'll finish that setup and get right to it on the other side if I can, Clint Bullock. Sounds great. We'll be right back with uh, Arizona Supreme Court Justice Clint Bullock. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Associate Arizona Supreme Court Justice Clint Bullock is our guest. We're talking about uh, a piece of uh, litigation that will be before the U.S. Supreme Court uh, this term that uh, we're hoping, some of us are hoping, I can say I am hoping, uh, will overturn something called Chevron deference. Uh, Justice Bullock was telling us about its origins, a 1984 case that has plagued our legal and constitutional system ever since but Clint you were saying it really goes back it traces its roots to the FDR to the Roosevelt administration during the depression yes sir
2: and and the idea that you would get all these smart people together they would be experts on what they were regulating and they would also be disinterested mm-hmm. they would have no stake in the outcome mm-hmm. and of course we we all know that to be utterly false right Um, But nonetheless, that notion of expertness and disinterestedness um, really pervaded the the growth of the administrative state. And um, these new agencies invaded the separation of powers in two ways. First of all, of course, by uh, their growth in terms of their power, they invaded the, the legislative domain. Um, and that has been the subject of other recent U.S. Supreme Court decisions. And they also invaded the judicial domain. And that's what the Chevron case was all about. It was an environmental regulation. And uh, the um, uh, the agency in that case basically um read the, its own statutory authority very, very broadly. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Chevron went to court and said, no, that's not what the statute says. Uh, and of course, it's it's the court's role to interpret statutes. Right. And in 1984, in the uh, Chevron decision, the U.S. Supreme Court unanimously said... No, it really isn't in these situations. And, uh, the court created a two-part test. The first is that if the, if the legislation that is being interpreted does not speak directly to the precise issue that is being presented, then, uh, if the agency interpretation is permissible, not even reasonable, just permissible, mm-hmm. we will, the courts will defer to the agency's interpretation of the statute. And that is literally putting <laughs> the fox in charge of the hen house.
1: People should think of OSHA agencies, or EPA or agencies yes, like this, yes. Or right. any,
2: yeah, literally any agency, mm-hmm. so long as. Um, Uh, So long as the legislature did not speak to the precise issue Mm -hmm. that is before the agency, and of course, generally, legislative delegation of power to administrative agencies is general and not specific. Mm -hmm. And uh, in that instance, then so long as the agency's interpretation is permissible, then the courts will defer. Mm -hmm. And what that led to was, of course, a massive Explosion in agency uh, power, yep. because they would—they're—they're uh, they're not disinterested. And of course, when the question of an agency's authority comes up, the agency is always going to interpret that power expansively. And without judicial review, there is no way um, to put that genie back in the bottle.
1: So, we have this uh, current case, and these are the kinds of cases really where the facts can be a little convoluted and as you you had pointed out in the previous segment they can they can ha- make your eyes glaze over. but it does represent a serious set of constitutional principles: uh, one is obviously maintaining the separation of powers, and two is r- reducing or restricting um, an overburdensome regulatory regime which The Constitution certainly didn't contemplate, but also Congress, probably in passing laws, didn't mean to confer in so many cases, right?
2: Right. And of course, you know, Congress is uh, complicit in this because...
1: they've delegated, uh, right? They (laughs) they have delegated.
2: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) They don't want to deal with the difficult questions, and so they put it off on administrative agencies. Fortunately, this case is not one of those eye glazing cases. Okay. Quite to the contrary, Chevron was, okay. uh, but this is not. And I think uh, a- everyday Americans can can really identify with this case. This involves um, a uh, uh, basically the agency that uh, the National Marine Fisheries Service. <laughs> Probably, <laughs> most people don't even know that exists. Yeah. Um, but they want to ensure that um that uh fishermen boats are not overfishing. They're mm-hmm. not uh violating the, the regulations in terms of the sizes of their catches. Mm-hmm. And the agency decided um, and, and Congress did delegate uh to the agency the express authority to require uh that fishing vessels um, Carry on board, uh, law enforcement officials from the agency that would make sure that they're complying with the law. So we know that they can do that. But the question came up, the agency was short of funds. And of course, these law enforcement officials, um, cost money. Yeah. And so, um, the agency said, well, why don't we just charge the fishing yeah. vessels to yeah. put them on, on, on the boats? So they're not only being regulated but they're being charged. Mm-hmm. And the the agency said, you know, the the rule, the, the um legislation that gave us this authority, it doesn't say anything about who should pay for it, um or about our authority to charge for it. So that's ambiguous, that fits exactly into the Chevron scenario. And it is, um, you know, that the legislature, the Congress did not speak specifically to the issue of who should pay. And it's certainly a permissible interpretation that we would go forward and require the fishermen themselves to pay for their own regulation. So that's exactly what we're going to do. And that gave, um, uh, provided an opportunity to do what many members of the court desperately want to do, and that is to revisit the Chevron doctrine. And when the question was presented to the court, it was precisely that question and the court granted review.
1: It sounds to me, uh, Justice Bullock, that if the Chevron deference line of thinking in cases isn't overturned, that's its own problem. But it also sounds to me as if this case, if it doesn't prevail, this uh, Loper case, if the if the plaintiffs on, behind, backing the Loper um, the fishermen don't prevail, that it will set yet even a worse precedent because it sounds like even further authority granting uh, to the being granted to the agencies in in the decision coming down. If it doesn't back up the fishermen here, I wonder if. I could keep you one more very short segment and have you kind of maybe respond to that a little bit. It's one thing to keep Chevron eyes, and it's another to actually lose this case, if you will. I would really appreciate that, as would the audience. Thank you, uh, Justice. We'll be right back with you uh, with Justice Clint Bullock. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson show, uh, learning and having fun with uh, both uh, Justice uh, Clint Bullock from the Arizona Supreme Court talking about Chevron deference and uh, this very important principle being litigated in front of the Supreme Court this term. Clint, to allow the Chevron line of thinking to continue, as I was saying, would be one thing, but for the people bringing suit, the fishermen bringing suit in the Loper case to actually lose on this set of facts sounds to me like it would actually be a dramatic expansion or have the potential for a dramatic expansion of the Chevron decision from 1984. Am I reading that about right, or is that a potential way to read this?
2: Oh, I think you definitely could read it that way, because most cases don't go nearly as far as what the agency did here, which is essentially taking on not just the regulatory authority, but a tax authority, placing a a tax on on the very people that it regulates. Mm -hmm. So I, I do think that if the agency's authority here is upheld, that it could have real spillover effects. This is the issue that uh, animated um, many of the the Trump judges, especially Neil Gorsuch, Uh um, and that uh, that really, I think, brought some of these uh, nominees to the attention of the Trump administration. Uh, Neil Gorsuch, in particular, when he was on the Tenth Circuit, he came to national attention when he wrote a concurring opinion and uh, 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 concurring in his own majority opinion, which I thought was incredibly cool. Um, and he basically said the elephant in the room is the Chevron uh-huh. decision. Uh-huh. And so uh, I think he, he is very interested in overturning it. I think Justice Kavanaugh uh, will as well. And so we'll, we'll see what happens here. But this is what Gorsuch had to say about the Chevron doctrine in, in a different case. You know, he said it's the court's uh, role to interpret statutes, not the executive branch. And he said, and I quote here, rather than say what the law is, we tell those who come before us to go ask a bureaucrat. Wow.
1: Wow. Yeah, kind of an inversion of things we kind of learned about how government and lawmaking and uh, judicial review works, even going back so far as Schoolhouse Rock. So, probably if Absolutely. the fishermen, yeah, if the fishermen prevail here, would you predict Gorsuch might be writing the ma- majority opinion?
2: <laughs> I think he would. He would do almost anything to be able to write the opinion.
1: <laughs> well, uh, Clint Bullock, Justice Bullock from the Arizona Supreme Court, you've been generous with your time as you are generous with your scholarship and brain. Thank you for joining us. I really appreciate it and so uh, much for having me, You betcha. You. you working on a book, by the way? You're, you're such a prolific author. You got another book <laughs> coming out anytime? Not.
2: Not at not at the moment. Just uh, enjoying writing lots of decisions.
1: Well, they're well written, and we appreciate you so much, sir. Thanks again. Really appreciate it. I'm Seth. Seth. You betcha. I'm Seth Liebson, and we will be right back. John Shattuck coming up. Don't go away.